Welcome to Van Lathan's The Red Pill, where we give you the brutal reality of truth. Today's guest, Jason fucking Weaver. I say it like that because I am very excited to have this man on the podcast. Uh, we talk a lot about today the multifaceted young stars that we have, like Jacob Lattimore, Trevor Jackson. We mentioned these guys. Zendaya. Uh, we mentioned these guys in the podcast. One of the first people to do that, to sing, act, do the whole nine, write music, play music, Jason Weaver. We know Jason Weaver uh, as a youth from playing young Michael Jackson to being the voice, the singing voice of Simba and the Lion King, to go on to be in movies like Drumline and ATL. Uh, the question is, how does a life in show business change your perspective on regular life? Uh, what is Jason Weaver now at 40 years old um, looking forward to? He's already been in the business for so long. He's already accomplished so much. Where do you go when you've had so much success at such a young age? Also, what was that like? How much money did he spend in the strip club? What was, what was he out here doing with these ladies? What are some of the things that went right for him? Some of the things that went wrong for him? Uh, it's a fascinating story, and he goes into all of it in this interview. Well, one other thing that I want to talk to him about specifically was he had a massive hit with Chingy, One Call Away. Went to number two. We were all expecting Jason Weaver to come back and take over music after he was on one of the biggest records of that year, and it didn't happen. He's going to tell us the whole story of why he didn't jump on the success of that record. What happened? Who fucked over Jason Weaver in that situation? He's very, very honest about that. So we're going to get into that in one second. Before we do, I want to talk directly to black people. I want to talk to black people right now. Black people, you only need you. It would be fantastic, ideal, great if talented, hardworking black Americans got support from all over America for their endeavors, uh, for the, be they personal or professional. It would be great if people were reinvesting into our communities, if they were investing into our professions, if they were investing into our well-being. That would be fantastic. That's what we would want. That, to me, is America, a society where each group, uh, independent um, of their ethnicity, is interested in a thriving middle class and a and uh, the uh, everyone from all areas of the ethnic sphere um, being able to sustain themselves. That makes for a better country to me. But in lieu of that, you only need each other. I have an example. People go, okay, man, you say that. Everyone says that. Do you have any examples? Tyler fucking Perry. Tyler fucking Perry is your example of the fact that you only need you. Tyler Perry opened up a 332-acre studio this past weekend. Every black person in the world was there except for me he opened this studio up named it after black people it was funded by black people the people that helped the studio get built were other black people and he made 
all of this money by catering directly to black people. You can have a conversation about whether or not you like Tyler Perry's films. You can have a conversation whether or not you think that Tyler Perry's films are good. But what you cannot have a conversation about is about the fact that he has believed in, empowered, and used black people for his success from the beginning. I remember when you had to go and rent the videos of Tyler Perry's plays before the movies were coming out, if he wasn't coming to your city. I remember the fact that Tyler Perry was going all around and started such a frenzy in our community that he made himself the hottest ticket. He didn't worry about trying to get his shit on Broadway. He was worried about trying to get his shit on MLK. And MLK, you, us, believing in and investing into us took him to a billion dollar entity to where now countless scores of other black people are going to be empowered by the fact that he exists. No one else made that possible. Even the people at Lionsgate that started putting Tyler Perry's films out, they put them out not because they thought that the Tyler Perry films would play well in Idaho. They knew that they would play well in New Orleans. They knew that they would play well in Gary, Indiana, in Atlanta, that everyone, that there was a block of people that would support Tyler Perry because he was serving them. He was serving them. Now, a lot of us have lambasted the movies. A lot of us have looked at the art and been like, we don't like that. It's whatever. Guess what? We were wrong. We were wrong. We didn't see it. He did. He saw that the subject matter that he was touching and the feelings that he was stirring were going to work in the long run for him to where he could own something and give it back to his culture. Tyler Perry believed in black audiences and black audiences rewarded Tyler Perry with unbelievable power, wealth, and influence. And it can happen again. And it is happening. And it will happen. As long as you remember that the first thing that you should do is to invest culturally, economically, socially, and spiritually into the group of people that will reinvest back into you. That's the people that best understand you. That's the people that most care about you. And that is the people that you can ride with in the face of all of this. For me personally, it's the people down in Baton Rouge. It's the people that I understand their situations, the people out here in these areas. That's what I'm saying. Don't be so quick to cross over that you get stepped over. Hold hands with the people that are going to lift you up when you need somebody to pull you. That's what he did. I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired 
by the rewards from being with your own, from believing in your own. No one excluded. Everybody can come. Make movies with everybody. Tyler Perry was in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He was in Star Trek. He's broadened his shit. He's made movies uh, with the family that prays. That's my favorite joint that he's done. That's got Kathy Bates in it, Cole Hauser in it. It's get like, ain't nobody, this Vince talking about segregation. Fuck you. No one said that, uh, that, uh, that uh, anything about segregation. No one said anything about that. What is being said is that it's okay to make black movies. It's okay to go to black award shows. It's okay to feel the love from your people and make that more important than any other love that you will get. And if you do that, and if you do it well, and if you're uncompromising, you will be rewarded by those people. It's called cultural trust. And I believe in it. And Tyler Perry is an example of what happens when you have it. He's always had it, whether he was being rewarded for it or criticized for it. All right. Believe in yourself. The rest is up to me and you. I just watched that documentary not too long ago. That shit was crazy. Uh, okay, look. Um, uh, uh, Jason Weaver. Love this, brother. We're about to get into this. Pop some pills. Uh, boot up the Lion King. Let's do it. We only got one white person in the house today, and that's Maddie. Maddie, give it up for Jason Weaver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you guys, I'm not even going to lie to you. Me and Jason just had a heart-to-heart mm -hmm. um, in a little pre-interview outside. I was telling Jason um, just how long I've been a fan, man. And I'll, no, I'll, thank I'll, you, I'll tell so everybody can hear it. Like, back in the day, I pressured my, my pops to buy a TV just so we could watch the Jackson family American Dream situation. It's amazing, man. man. We had just moved back from, um, from L.A. Okay. Uh, we lived out in L.A. for a little while, and I saw it on. It was on the cover of, I think, an Ebony magazine. How all you guys? Was Terrence Howard? Terrence Howard was, Terrence in, Howard was in it. Yeah, yep. Angela yep. Bassett. Angela Bassett, Lawrence Hilton, Jacobs, uh, Hilton Jacobs, yeah, Jermaine Jackson Jr., Bumper Robinson. Shout out to my my guy Bumper. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that started like sort of, as far as the culture was concerned. We yeah. followed your career ever since then, man. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying so. You know, nah. it, it, I, I appreciate your contributions, bro. And that you know, your multi talented brother. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. No, I, I was because uh, we were having this conversation prior mm -hmm. to us even um, doing an interview. But first and foremost, thank you, mm -hmm. uh, and thank you to everybody out there who has ever supported my work. Um, you know, from the time that either you guys saw me in Jackson's, maybe some of my previous work, whatever the case may be, um, man, it really, really means a lot to me uh, to receive that support, uh, not only from my community, uh, but from others out there. Because what I was explaining to you earlier, you know, this is a very complicated business mm. and it can be very difficult at times. It can be mentally draining. It can be spiritually depleting at times. But. It can also be really, really, really rewarding when you get to have encounters and conversations like this with people who have genuinely supported you mm. and held you down throughout the years. And whether we've known each other or not or actually grew up together or not, we have grown together, mm -hmm. uh, grown up together. And, uh, man, I just I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone that approaches me on the street, you know, and, and, and addresses me respectfully and lets me know that they appreciate my contribution you guys have no idea how much that personally means to me. So please know 
that I do not take any of that for granted mm. and that I, I pray and I hope that I will continue to make you all proud. And uh, yeah, and, and let me also say this too, because I want this to be on the record because this is important. This is one of the main reasons why I was really excited about being on this show today. What up? And I was telling you this in the room. Van, I appreciate you and respect you so much for using your voice and your platform as a man, as a black man, to speak on our behalf intelligently, um, passionately, uh, with facts and with information that you can share with your viewers out there that may not be able to di directly identify with our experiences that we have here in this country as black men and in this world. Mm. And you have found a very unique, compelling, and authentic way to connect with people of all races in order for us to have genuine conversations up, about bro? the issues that are at hand and that are ultimately affecting us all. Mm. And so I just want to let you know from one brother to another, I really, really appreciate you, man. And please know that we all out here are looking at you and respecting what you're doing and using your voice for real. Oh, we're going to dap up brother. on that. That's love. Like, I really, really love, appreciate man. it. And I respect you a great deal. So this is a... This is an honor for me to be here, man. So that, thank bro. you for having me. So let me ask you this. I've been, you know, it seems like you're in a love season right now where it seems like people are, I mean, I don't even want to say giving you your due. I'm just seeing a lot of Jason Weaver. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm hearing a lot of stories about yeah. you. And it seems like right now, you're, are you feeling more just how much people are big fans? Because whenever I've never said your name mm -hmm. and had any, had anybody say anything negative or having someone say something like, even when you came in here and Maddie saw you. Yeah. Maddie, who doesn't give a fuck about anyone. Yeah. Like, like you came in here and Maddie goes, first of all, I'll just let you know, I love the Jackson. <laughs> I love Drumline. Yeah. Do you feel like you're getting you're in a love season? Like you're getting love? Dude, it definitely feels like a love season. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, because first of all, what what I recognize and what I'm grateful for is that, you know, and not to get religious or because I'm a spiritual person, so I gotta keep it real. This mm. is God moving. Mm. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. Um I believe that I'm being prepared for a new season. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you are being prepared for a new season and when God has seen you put in the work and knows that you're worthy and deserving of it. And when you, I think when he recognizes that all you're trying to do is put good energy out there and connect with people on a real level and be positive, he blesses you with these kinds of situations where just out of the blue, it just seems like there's just this huge influx of love and uh and newfound appreciation for my creative contribution and man i'm i'm so grateful i'm grateful to god and i'm grateful to everybody that even just has it on their heart mm. and on their spirit to take time out of their day whatever it is that they're doing to get on twitter or instagram or whatever and be like hey dude much respect mm. like i didn't know that you were in the lion king i didn't know you know that you had that much to say i didn't know that you know, your story um, and what you've experienced growing up is somewhat similar to mine. Mm. I didn't know you had an upbringing. I didn't, a lot of people, even from my hometown, Chicago, don't even know I'm from the crib. Don't even know mm. I'm from the shy. I thought you were from Atlanta to this just to this moment. No, no. I mean, I, uh, my family is originally from Atlanta, mm. uh, the Haywood family, because uh, my grandfather was a, a pastor. Mm. 
mm-hmm. uh, who had uh, been moved up to Chicago through the church, the Protestant church, to oversee uh, a uh, church there on the south side. So my right. mother and my aunts and my uncles all migrated during the Great Migration up sure. to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And me and my cousins, uh, we grew up there. So like me, my cousin Ku Carell, Tricky Stewart, Laney Stewart. Shout out to all those guys. Anybody familiar with those names out there in music? Those are your cousins? Those are my first cousins. Oh, wow. Yeah, Tricky Stewart is my first cousin. Ku Carell, Laney, uh, uh, their brother and production uh, partner, Mark Stewart. Mm. Uh, my family is comprised mostly of people from the music world mm. uh, because our mothers were involved in it. My, my mother and my aunts and my cousin, Cynthia Harrell, uh, were all uh, background singers okay. uh, for Aretha Franklin. Oh wow! Curtis Mayfield back in it. Yeah, like you know. Um, so give, what would have happened if you couldn't sing? They'd have talked. Oh you out. man, bro. Like, see, I, I, I would have just been out of the family. I always wondered that. I always wondered like, like I remember when the Winans was popping. Shout out to the Winans. I'm not saying y'all not popping now, <laughs> but there was a time when they was super popping. Yeah. And I always would wonder, what if you the Winan that can't sing? That's got to be the worst. That's like. <laughs> That's got to be because everybody can sing. Everybody exceptionally singing. well, and they all singing. They're just not singing. They singing their ass. They singing their asses off. Right. And the only thing you can do is hum or something. Hum or something. <laughs> that would be hard. But that didn't happen. You came out and you and you was hitting notes. I was hitting notes, and then you know, I just growing up and watching my family and watching everybody excel creatively in their own thing. You know, I just I I naturally found something that I. Uh, felt that I could excel really well in that came natural to me that was acting it just so happened I was able to develop a voice as well because I was like singing in church my aunt um and Stuart Tricky's mom Tricky Laney and Mark's mom had a all-female mass choir group in Chicago called the Annettes mm. and they would tour uh the whole Chicago land area triangle sound yeah you know the studio <laughs> Oh, okay. I know, I know triangle sound, yeah, red zone. I'm not like, I'm not, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm up on my music stuff. Okay, right, yeah. Right. So, so uh, we all grew up mm-hmm. in that. Right. Like, Tricky first played drums for the Annettes mm-hmm. as a teenager. Wow. My first solo, uh, singing solo, like at eight years old, seven years old in the church was with the Annettes. Laney uh, grew up playing the keys and piano. Uh, my cousin Cynthia was singing in the choir. Uh, my mother was one of the lead vocalists in the choir. So we all learnt, honed our skills um, through this beautiful experience that my aunt was able to orchestrate and put together. And essentially, we were able to take those skills that we honed and transition into the entertainment industry. And uh, we, by, the, by the grace of God, we have all been very successful in our own right, and he continues to bless us. Mm-hmm. And we rocking, man. Like, I'm really, really proud of my family every way, even those who aren't in the game. I'm very, very proud of my family because they're they're amazing people. And, um, nah, man, I, I love them all. They're, they keep me going. So you start to have your own, you start to have your success around what age? Mm. It starts happening I mean, for you. I mean, honestly, although people know me from the Jackson miniseries, mm-hmm. I started viewing having success in film and TV, when I did my first film, which was called The Long Walk Home, mm-hmm. with uh, which starred Whoopi Goldberg and Sissy Spacek, and it was centered around the Montgomery bus boycott. Well, it, was, it was centered around two families, a white and a black family, mm-hmm. in the middle of the Mon- Montgomery bus boycott. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember 
uh, when I got cast and when I was eventually brought down to Montgomery, Alabama, and the first time I put on my wardrobe, because it was a period piece, and I'm sitting in my little honey wagon and getting ready to do a scene, and that was like the first time that I realized, like, hey, man, I'm on a, I'm on a path towards success. Word. You know what I'm saying? And then from that point on, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a vampire having his taste of first blood or whatever. Now you're hungry for it. Now you're hungry for it, and you're willing to put in the work and the time and the dedication, and sacrifice and commitment um, to take it to the next level. And that, and that's the journey that I've been on, you know, ever since. And you for know, a lot of kids, sacrifice, commitment, and all of those things, mm-hmm. it's not something that you even understand until you get older, right? You yeah. don't even because you're you're you're. You're in your childhood. You're going about the business of basically entertaining yourself. I remember mom used to always. Uh, we were. I would beg my mom to go to Blockbuster and rent a video. Mm-hmm. Kids look what that look up what that is. Like yeah. we just have to leave the house. Exactly. And I was I was begging my mom, and she, my mother would be like, "Yo, I'm tired." And understand, you're asking me to do this for your entertainment, right? She's like, mm-hmm. I've been working all day. Right. And I've been doing and you're badgering me about this for your entertainment. Right. What I'm saying is, what I'm asking is like, mm-hmm. for for most kids, mm-hmm. for a lot of kids, that's what we're on. We're not intimately, we're not uh, acquainted with sacrifice. Gotcha. And work ethic and things like that. Do gotcha. you feel like having to get uh familiar with those things at such a young age, how did that change your mind from around some of your friends and stuff like that you're on set long hours you're trying to get better as an actor yeah you're doing all of those things so really does that does that grow you up faster oh yeah um but it doesn't i mean for me it didn't grow me up i didn't grow up faster in a way where i think it had some kind of negative impact on my life Mm. i think uh Understanding. How did you avoid? How did your parents use? Not to cut you off. No, but no. How, how did your parents and you avoid? We see that with so many child stars. How did they avoid it having a negative impact on your life? Oh, balance. Keyword. It was okay, Jason. You dedicate this amount of time and uh, and mental energy uh, to your work on on that day. Whatever it is that you have to do, is an audition that you have to do. Okay, focus on that. Get that done. Now, once that's done and you've done your job, okay, now it's time to switch back into the kid that you get the homework done. Mm. Let's, you know, sit down at the dinner table, um, in, engaging with neighbors, engaging with my classmates. Like, even throughout the whole time that I was working as a kid and I had tutors and stuff that I was, you know, that I would be on set with, when the job was done, I'd go home and I'd go back to school. I go oh, work. I go right back into my regular routine. My mother was really determined to create this balance in my life because she recognized that the circumstances uh, that I was encountering, that I was involved with, were extraordinary in their mm. own right. Mm. And especially a young black kid coming from Chicago. Right. There weren't a lot of us doing that. You know what I'm saying? But much less booking jobs, even auditioning. You know mm. what I mean? So um, she recognized that I was in a very uh, different place and in a different position, but she also recognized that, like, hey, God forbid, if this doesn't work out for him, he still has to go out there and be a man and mm. stand ten toes down Word. and hold his shit down. Mm. So he got to learn how to do that regardless. Right. So there ain't no sugarcoating nothing. There ain't no running away from problems. Oh, you got a beef with a bully or whatever. Stand up to him. Like, mm. 
give a fuck because whether you on TV or not, you're going to have to encounter situations anyhow. You're mm. going to have to be a man whether a camera's on or not. Mm. So that was something that my mother really instilled in me uh, very early on. And I think because she consciously created that playing field where there was that balance there, that helped me a lot mm. uh, to be able to maintain my focus, being able to um, maintain somewhat. Although I was a young man and coming coming to understand myself I still had a knowledge of self and what I innately stood for and what I was about first and foremost and I never lost that throughout the course of my journey because of that and then being reminded you know from people in my neighborhood like I mean Chicago's one of those places like man you talk slick to somebody you're gonna get punched in your fucking face yeah, yeah. so nah like yeah. if I was talking fresh on a basketball court if I said something greasy I'm getting stole on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I have to eat that and, and remember like, hey man, this ain't Hollywood and you ain't on set and nah man, ain't nobody having that here. Right. So, yeah. you know, keep your cool. Otherwise I'm gonna check your temperature every time. And when you grow up like that, right, yeah. You feel me? I'm a, listen, I'm a big proponent for that. I'm a big proponent in boxing when you're young, like getting boxed down. You gotta get punched in your face and, a couple and, times. And, and the reason why I'm, I, I, I am is because it helps you gauge what's worth it. Right. When you become an adult, right? That's right. Like, in Baton Rouge, you talk shit to someone, they fuck you up. Yep. Or they try. Yeah. So when you get to be about 25 or 26 and you're in a situation that's a little tense, you have to make a decision whether or not it's worth getting your clothes fucked up, yep. whether or not like whether or not it's worth what's going to happen. What's going to happen. You know what's going to happen if that's you right. get disrespectful. That's and right. I feel like because I, I'm around some people mm -hmm. that have never been open hand or closed hand, smacked <laughs> in their fucking shit. Uh-huh. That they talk out of the side of their neck a lot. Mm -hmm. And then when you turn up on them, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe, do you know what you just said to me? Yeah. So um, that yeah. to me, that actually makes for a more respectful man because it, it after a while, if you're not, if it's not like absolutely necessary, right. you just don't want to have that energy. No, real talk. I mean, I think that's why you get you know, a lot of the, the the younger generation, not to talk bad about the younger generation, because I fucks with them. My son is one of them. My son is 18, so it's not like this is no diss. Your son is 18? I have an 18. Yeah, my son Jalen. What's up, champ? Love Damn. you. I'm over here with Van. I'm with your boy. 18. He's 18. Wow. His name is Jalen Zylus Weaver. Mm -hmm. He is the best thing that God has ever placed in my life. He is the shit. So shout out to oh, you, son. I love man. you. Man. Um, Y'all stop lying on Black Father. <laughs> You, did you hear? No, we here. Jason's whole fucking demeanor changed. God damn it! When his son was brought up, this man mm. lit up. Stop lying on black fucking fathers. Oh man. no, we here, man. We here. There's there, the fathers like I know a ton of fathers. You know, like myself, black men who are involved in their children's lives. You know right. what I'm saying? And the, the the greatest joy in my life, outside of whatever accomplishment I've had in my career. The greatest accomplishment and greatest joy in my life is watching my son come into this into this world. Shout out to his mother, Mimi, Miwa. Thank you so much. Uh, she and I aren't together anymore or anything mm -hmm. like that, but we've been able to work really uh, well as parents and, and raise our son. And so I commend you and salute you as well for the, the amazing job that you've done in, in helping a co-parent with our child. So. That's a, that's a good energy. So you, you're, building, um, you're building up your career at this point. Yes. And then... Uh, you're about to get the role of a lifetime at that point. Yeah. Um, thus far. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not even thus far, but at that point. Uh, you're playing Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. Now, this was what, 90, 91? 
Yeah, this had to have been, oh yeah, it was definitely, I think it was like 92 because I remember when we shot, when we were shooting in Pittsburgh was when the L.A. riots happened. Right. And we were looking at the L.A. riots on set. Right, okay. Yeah. So, it's 91. Uh, Not, that was 91? That was 92. That was, was 92. Okay. So it's like 92. So look at my recall. Because remember I told you it was right after the, 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 I told you it was right after the riots we had moved back. And then y'all moved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but, so anyway, the, um, the, the, how does that happen? I mean, when I say how does it happen, how are you viewing that in your mind? People remember now Michael Jackson as the biggest pop star of all time. That's what he was. Right. At that particular point, mm -hmm. he wasn't remembered. He was alive and existed. He was it. He was it. Mm -hmm. He was it. There's, there's not a star that I can compare it to. Mm -mm. Like, there's, there's no way... Like, there's no one right now that if they drop a video, they're going to put it on the news. Nah. Like, right after, hey, just just let you know, don't leave Channel 4 News Watch. We're going to be pre premiering Michael Jackson's video, The Way You Make Me Feel. Exactly. At, like, like, at the end of, like, exactly. so there's nothing, and you're going to play him. Yeah. What was that like? Man, an amazing experience. You know, a lot of people, when they ask me about it, the first thing they say was, man, did you feel overwhelmed? Did you feel any pressure? Then, you know, being completely honest and transparent, um, yeah, like, you feel a little bit of the pressure, but for kids like me at that time that just wanted a shot, mm -hmm. that just wanted to show what I can do and, you know, to express myself creatively and display my talent, um, for Michael to give me an opportunity like that, like, I mean, man, it changed my life for the better. Like, so you When know, you say Michael give you an opportunity, what do you mean? Well, he had, to, he had to pick me for the role. Like, I mean, wait, wait, any, Michael Jackson picked you for the role? Yeah, anybody that played Michael Jackson. And I think this goes for the whole family as well. But if I'm wrong, Jermaine, I'm sure you can correct me if I'm wrong. But specifically for Michael Jackson, I think he had it contractually stipulated that whoever played him, he had to have the final say. He had to have the final approval. So everyone that you saw from, you know, the first Michael to the second one, which was me, to the third one, which was played by the late, great Wally Draper. Um, we were all personally chosen by Michael. And it was a, you know, extensive uh, <laughs> and pretty uh, intense auditioning process. Um, Did you meet Michael Jackson? Briefly, yeah. Right. Uh, and it was kind of a thing. It was like, it was on set. And it was like in and out. Like somebody brought me in a trailer. They were like, hey, there's Michael. And he was in disguise too, like. Where was, <laughs> what? Yeah, well, I thought it, I thought that was pretty trippy. But and what led up to that story was is like there he had um, during his time he was doing like um, I want to say like the Dangerous Tour. It was like around that time. Would have had to have been. Yeah, it was because around the that year time. before that. It would have been. Um, what was the video with Magic Johnson? And, um, uh, remember, remember the time. time. Remember the time. Right. Remember so time. so he was like on tour. Directed and he by was, John Singleton. Rest direct, in peace. Rest in peace. And he was like on tour. And so it really wasn't like expected of him to kind of drop by on the set. But I remember there was one time when he happened to be in California while we were shooting. And then the, uh, there was an announcement made that Michael Jackson was going to like pop up on the set. So everybody just kind of went apeshit crazy. Nobody really got any work done that day. I'm talking about professionals in the industry. <laughs> and um, so what I guess because it was causing such a disruption... He didn't actually come that day. Mm -hmm. And then one day, uh, it was maybe about two or three days later, um, I was on set and a PA 
like a second, it was like a second AD or PA pulled me to the side and said, hey, somebody wants to meet you, you know, come with me real quick. And I knew it was something going on because mm -hmm. the way it was being handled. And then um, when I was brought in like this little trailer, like I just saw this, what I thought at the time was kind of like an older white man mm -hmm. um, sitting in his seat. And then he started talking and I was like, <laughs> and then I looked at, and then I looked at his eyes. That's what, <laughs> not to have like a principal, like what Jamie said, well, when you looked at in Prince's eyes, like, but you looked at his eyes and you was like, no, and I was like, oh Michael shit, Jack. that's Michael Jack. Cause Michael had like, <laughs> right. he had the superstar eyes. Right. We'd be like, oh shit, Mike. <laughs> so when I saw that, um, you know, I knew it was him and he just gave me, you know, quick acknowledgement and letting me know that he had saw, seen a couple of the dailies and thought I've been doing a fantastic job so far. And mm -hmm. then, you know, keep it up. And then by that time, I was called back on the set. And I carried that with me, man. Like, as long as I knew that um, that he vouched for it and that he was supportive of my work, um, I think that helped to relieve a lot of the tension and the stress, too, because, pardon me, Michael Jackson fans and Jackson family fans are, like, serious yeah, about them. Doubt. Yeah. So, you know. I, I know that because, like, um... I was asked. Uh, um, I was asked mm -hmm. on Twitter mm -hmm. uh, whether or not I would still be listening to Michael Jackson's music based, based upon all of the shit. On that the shit that went, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, yeah. And like, and I didn't even tag MJJ forever, right. but I would say for like three days. Yeah. People were just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Retweeting like the fans of my yeah, like they are fucking. No, they serious. serious, bro. Like they're serious, and they come out like you know this man has made his transition into his afterlife mm -hmm. years past. Yeah, but these people are you know just as dedicated as they were then when he was still with us in the physical, and you know and that you know that's awesome. Uh, cause they hit me up from time to time and you know send me encouraging messages and that's all dope. of that. And I think it's important to, you know, that, you know, for his fans, even with everything that has gone on, being, being based on the fact that we don't know the truth, so to speak, about yeah. everything, to have people like that that are still, you know, looking to preserve his legacy and, yeah. and to celebrate his work. Fans. That's they're big-time fans. And they're big-time fans. Big-time yeah. fans. So you do that. Yes. Um, I want to ask you about one scene in particular. There's a scene sure. where they're trying to get you on the plane. Yeah. And you're beating up Joe Jackson. Like, yep. boy, what's wrong with you? Yeah. As a kid, when you're tapping into emotions like that, like I always wondered about child actors, right? Yeah. When you're like, um, because we're so, our emotions are not, we don't know how to control them yet mm -hmm. as children yeah. around that age. Like I'm still like getting mad over stuff I really shouldn't be getting mad about. Mm -hmm. I'm still like crying over stuff that I really shouldn't. Do you develop emotionally in a normal way when you're turning on your emotions and you're crying and you're getting angry and you're... Uh, well... Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. How do you do it? But for myself, I don't know, man. I, you know, I'll I'll attribute that one to God, just the the, mm. the talent that He blessed me with uh, mm -hmm. to be able to tap in and turn on. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to be Jason Weaver again, tap out. Tap and, out. But a lot of people it's so hard to do for a lot of people. It's difficult bro. for a lot of people to do. And and I mean, these are you know. Uh, Jedi actors like I remember you know even people were talking about well I've heard Denzel say that before like after he did Malcolm X he had to which he did a phenomenal job but he Amazing. had to like deprogram right 
and stop thinking like Malcolm X because he was so, you know, immersed mm-hmm. in that world that when he when it, when they rapped, he was still responding to certain things right. as if he was, you know, Malcolm. So like he goes to Subway and they're like, you, what, what kind of fuller? Don't talk to me, white man. <laughs> and about I don't sandwiches. want no pork. I don't want any pork <laughs> on my sandwich. <laughs> exactly. So now, I mean, you know, for, for certain actors, they have uh, a difficult time or it's more challenging to turn off but for me never was no I never had that problem so after this happens like you go on a run like you you're like you're hot yeah you're hot yes you've experienced something that a lot of people don't get a chance to experience I remember 2 Chains once shout out to 2 Chains <laughs> 2 Chains came to the office one time okay and me and 2 Chains he was hosting the show and we were vibing right like okay. you know cause I go to your brother hosting the show make sure you feel comfortable I do you know, vibe with 2 Chains and 2 Chains said something to me he goes you know, well, like, like he's like, I asked him a question. He goes, uh, when you hot? And he goes, actually, I don't know if you've ever been hot before. And, wow. then, and, then, and then I was like, I looked at him. I was like, actually, I have not yet been hot. But you got hot, got though. Hot. You got I hot. Got, I got, you got hot. I got hot. Because I was like, oh, shit, man, I got hot on niggas real quick. But I hadn't yet been hot. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people don't experience ever being hot. Yeah. You are hot. Yeah. You were hot. It mm-hmm. happens with the Jacksons, and then you get you, and then you get you get a TV show, right? Well, no. Immediately after that, I got recruited for the Lion King. The Lion King. Yeah. So right then there, you go to the Lion King. Yeah. So then you're doing you're you're, you're like you're, you're, you're it, it's happening for you. It's happening. Um, with the Lion King, did you have any idea how big of a deal that that was going to be? Not at all, man. Not at all. If you had known that it was going to be a big deal, would you have done anything differently? Nope. Hmm. Because that was all by divine design. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you can do except be prepared for the moment. It's the defining cartoon of many of our lives. And an important story. Cheers. Um, to many of us. Very, very important work. No, thank you, man. And it was a defining moment in my life. Like, right. you know, it helped to, like you said, usher in this era, um, you know, in my professional life where it helped to kind of thrust me to the forefront. And uh, created many more opportunities for me since then. Uh, that was the um, the first project that helped to initiate my uh, business relationship with Disney, mm-hmm. which even up to this day is uh, still a really good one, a successful one. Still down with the mouse. Still down with the mouse. Love the mouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, real time. I mean, no, hey, we're not gonna do. We're not gonna fuck up any money here on the Red Pill. We're podcast. not gonna do that. <laughs> That's what we're not going to do. So, no, shout out to Disney. <laughs> I'm still here, baby. Keep right, sending right, checks. No, right. um, no, but all jokes aside, I mean, that was one of those, you know, one of those moments where um, it was such a major blessing. I remember, and again, I got to shout out my mother. I had just, this is a true story, and I've never shared this story before with anybody, but I, at the same time, um, had gotten the opportunity to do The Lion King. I had just signed a record deal with Motown Records. Wow. And I remember, and I'm not going to call out any names, any executives, because some of those guys are still my friends. Um, but I remember that, because it wasn't popular back then to be a triple threat. Not like it is now. Everyone's, uh, bro, I was just having this conversation. Like, is you see somebody acting, and they're doing so well acting, and then you meet them, and they go, hey, but check out my music. 
And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, right. but everybody now. No, it's the thing now. Everybody now. Is it's the acting, thing. Singing, like everyone's Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you got great guys like Trevor Jackson. Trevor and, is a monster, uh, man. Shout Jacob out. Jacob Lattimore. Like, Jacob, bo- both of those young brothers. I met uh, Trevor a year ago. I met me and Jacob did some stuff at the BET Awards. Okay. Those guys are great, bro. They're great. And even even uh, your, your really talented brother from um that is, is in Wu-Tang. Shaheem. Um, yeah, Shaquem, 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 yeah, very, very talented. Yeah, you know? but, but so yeah, a lot of these, and then the sisters as well, and Diane, all of them. I'm not sisters as well. Mm-hmm. I'm saying don't, don't get mad. I didn't right. mean the sisters as well. I meant you. Y'all you know, know what we talking about? Yeah, we have a real conversation. Right. Come so, on now. So yeah, so in, anyway, but um, yeah. yeah, so you were doing. It wasn't as popular then, for sure. It wasn't, and you know, record companies back then. You know, if it, if it was especially with an animated thing, and they were talking about, well, man, you know, if you want to be um, if you want to be taken seriously in R and B, and you want people to take your artistry seriously, like, man, you can't really, you know, fuck with no cartoon. And so it had me, you know, I'm a kid, I'm impressionable, I'm in my teens, I want to be accepted, I want to be liked, I want people to get behind my work and my project. So mm-hmm. I was made to kind of feel during that time like it was a mistake. To be, be, a, to be in the Lion King. King. So check this out. I went to my mom because it was like one final. I had to sign a long form agreement. And I remember Disney sent it or my attorney sent it. And I asked my mom at the table. I was like, do you really think that I should do this? I said, because they're telling me at, at the label that if I if I do this, they won't like my audience won't take me seriously and no one will respect me. And my mother True story, and thank you, Mom. She said, let me tell you something, Jason. Who gives a fuck what people think? (laughs) She's like, let me tell you something. As somebody that's been in this business for a long time and worked with a lot of great people, I've never had this kind of opportunity throughout all of the years that I've had my career. My mother was really successful, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she said, I'll tell you this. If you allow people to influence you like that, and if you turn your nose up at God's blessing— That'll be one of the biggest mistakes you ever make in your life. Mm. And I sat there and I thought about it for like two minutes. And I signed my name on the dotted line and we mm-hmm. FedExed that, FedEx that agreement out the next day. And the rest after that was history. And, you know, to this day, that's why I always, whenever I get the opportunity, especially as it relates to The Lion King, man, I shared that success with her, with my mother. Because mm. if it had not been for her, giving me the the correct information, I would have made a costly mistake. And so I'm here and you guys have I Just Can't Wait to Be King and Hakuna Matata and all of that because I had a supportive black mother mm. who gave me the real fucking game. And that's the honest to God's truth. So mm. salute to you, mom, Kitty Haywood. Any of y'all out there know my mom, her, her history and music uh, once she's done professionally. Look her up, man. She's a phenomenal woman, and I'm not just saying it because she's my mother. My mother has done so much for me and uh, and my entire family, and so I just want to salute her and salute all the other black women in my family, so, so, too. So, so, you feel me? Yeah. So, so, what, so all of this happens, right? Yes. You're going through, was there a time when <clears throat> things got hard? Hell yeah. When did, when did that start to set in? When? <laughs> tell, tell, me, tell me what you thought was going to happen. Was something that maybe you thought was going to happen and maybe that didn't happen? Okay. That's a great question. No, um, when I became a man, and that was like when at 18, 19 years old, and I was doing Smart Guy, and Smart Guy eventually got canceled. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, you know, took my earnings, took my money and relocated down to Atlanta mm -hmm. um, because I wanted to be closer to my family. I wanted to be a part of that community, that right. creative community. And I wanted to be around other black folks that were excellent at what they do. I right. wanted to be around that. Um, and I also wanted to experience something real in my life. I did want to start a family. So like me becoming a father at a young age, that wasn't something where like I made a mistake or anything. No, that was a, de a conscious decision that I made um, to step into that phase of my life because I wanted to have a deeper connection with something in life other than being in the industry. Mm. All I had known up until that point was the industry. And um, when I was blessed to become a father, it helped to usher in a new era in my life. But what it also did, too, was present me with a whole new set of challenges, personally and professionally, that I was not expecting. Mm. Uh, so, you know, not to get too deep into it, but personally... Uh, you know, me and my son's mother come to find out after all that time, we really didn't gel well. So our relationship at that time uh, was pretty tumultuous, pretty turbulent. Right. Uh, so that was difficult. You guys as, are young. Yeah, we're young. Um, so that was difficult as a young man to kind of, you know, process that and work through that. But eventually I did. And then professionally, because I was down in Atlanta uh, and I was kind of like out of the mix here. That was kind of a personal sacrifice that I took as it related to my career because I just wasn't, I wasn't as active. I wasn't in people's faces as much. So at different times where I wanted to turn up, right. whether it's for the sake of providing for my family or just wanting to contribute in some kind of way creatively, um, I found it uh, more difficult over the years to like tap back into that. Right, like the door, like. They were moved. There's a revolving door. Like there's a, a revolving door, and yeah. you know, there when when one leaves out or takes a hiatus, Somebody there's another jumps. young kid that yeah. can come in and you know take that spot, which I have no problem with. Like right. that was a conscious decision that I made, and honestly, I, um, it was a rewarding, overall rewarding uh, uh, experience and good decision that I made because I think it helped me mature a great deal as a as a man. Right. And it was something that I needed because my reality. Up until that point, like I said, it was just this. Right. So I needed to, I needed something that was going to ground me as far as where I was at right now in, in, my, in my life as an adult male. And I wanted to have someone in my life that I can share and instill wisdom and be able to kind of, you know, lead. And I, I, I fell in love with that. So anyway, it, to get back to your question. So it became difficult. Like, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to do Drumline down there, um, ATL, shout out to Dallas Austin. Um, uh, I've worked on a few independent uh, films down there, working with Swirl Films, Eric Thomasunas, Keith Neal, shout out to you guys, and other independent films that I did. But the, the, the kind of work um, that I wanted to do that I felt would ultimately really challenge me as an actor and allow me to present a different side of my talent, those opportunities came far and in between because I just wasn't in the mix. You weren't in the mix. And so there were a lot of things that I'm sure had I been out here and been more actively involved, um, you know, I, I, may have, I may be at a different point mm -hmm. in my life right now, but that being said, I still view my life and where I'm at 
as successful because I'm happy. Mm. Like, I don't feel like because I made that personal sacrifice. You feel like you chose fatherhood over your career? To some degree, yeah, because, I mean, that's just what I wanted <laughs> at that time. I wanted something in my life that I felt was real, that was like, that no matter what, no matter what happens with this, I'm always going to have my boy. And, and we're always going to have our family. And we're going to have our house in Georgia. And we're going to have our Sunday dinners. And, you know, his grandmother, Nanu, is there. We're, that's what we're going to be, regardless of whether the sun is shining or whether it's a fucking downpour. That's who we're going to be. And I wanted to connect with something deeper like that to where I knew it would ultimately help me to stay grounded. Because I had seen a lot of my friends... As they were making their transitions from being maybe child actors going into adulthood mm -hmm. or maybe maybe even just starting as adults. Man, their whole life was based on just that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Going to an event to be seen like, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, establishing a relationship with somebody that they really don't care about like that. But they're just looking to establish that re relationship to advance their careers. I've been experiencing that shit and going through that all my life. So I was kind of just over that. Right. And, you know, I enjoyed going to Publix and picking up Pampers and formula. And, you know, I enjoyed being present at my son's first day of school. You know, I enjoyed going to uh, my son's plays and, and different things that he did. I enjoy my existence in my life in Atlanta where I can talk to my neighbors as I'm watering the lawn or some shit like mm -hmm. And to me, as long as inside, I know that I feel good about that and I'm happy about that, then that's successful. And if God sees fit, whether it be now or in the future, to present me with opportunities that will allow me to thrust myself back into the, into the forefront mm -hmm. and become that leading man and that Oscar winner that I ultimately feel I'm destined to become. All right. So that's happening. That's happening. That's happening. No, that put no. It on the blueprint right now. No, that no, that that's happening because I because I believe in myself. I believe in the the talent that God gave me, mm -hmm. and I know that if I just continue to stay in shape, preparedness meeting opportunity equals success every time. What up? So I'm always prepared. I'm always ready, and mm -hmm. I've learned in this business that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I've seen too many of my peers and colleagues who, at one point in time, mm -hmm. were supposedly lying dormant. Mm -hmm. And an extraordinary opportunity comes across their desk that's specifically meant for them. Mm. And when they step into it, it's here. their time. Yeah. And so I don't I don't live my life chasing the dragon, so to speak. What up, what up? You know what I'm saying? I feel you. So because you had such a, a strong connection to your mom and the church yeah. and to things like that, did yeah. it make it harder to run through hoes when you were going through your your no. <laughs> Hell no, brother. Not at all. Hey, this this spiritual side, this enlightenment, my nigga, this just happened like five, six years ago. Well, I, was, I, I said hoes, I meant ladies, ladies. young ladies. ladies. Describe to me, though, mm -hmm. your hoe face because... Man, I, 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 let me let me put it this you way. You had it, bro. You was popping. No, bro. I put in some work. I put <laughs> I have put in some work out here. I'm not ashamed to say that. Shout out to all the ladies that have uh, played a, a huge part in my life. Right. And you know my growth and development as a young man. You you all are amazing. No, but I mean, dude. You know, 
I'll put it to you like this. I moved down to Atlanta when I was 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Coming down there with Disney money. Word. Coming down there with smart guy money. Smart guy money. You talking about, bruh, I'm in Gentleman's <laughs> Club, Magic City, Jazzy T's, Club Nicky's, anybody from Atlanta, old Atlanta, uh-huh. that knows what it is. These right. are like the classic strip clubs mm-hmm. that everybody went to and mm-hmm. where we partied at. And what unbeknownst to me prior to moving down to Atlanta, I didn't know that the strip club was like the standard. Right. Like, I didn't know that the strip club was just a regular club. Nobody knew that. Atlanta introduced that to us. I didn't know the food was that good. No one knew. that When the Atlanta strip club scene started to become, when JD and them started dropping names and songs. Yeah. And when the, the rest of us were doing, I'm going to speak for Baton Rouge. I'm not going to speak for y'all, wherever y'all at. Mm-hmm. We had strip clubs now. Like, the rest of us didn't know that that's what a strip club was. Cause you know we would go to strip clubs in Jackson, Mississippi, and shit like that, where oh. these niggas breaking bottles over your head and shit. I've been in strip clubs in Jackson. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one specifically we would go down there when Southern would play Jackson State. It was shout out to whoever. I hope y'all survived. <laughs> but 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 like when we got to these strip clubs in Atlanta, yeah, this was not the place that you went after the night was over. This was no. the where you started your night. This is where you started. Yeah, and you could like pull up. I remember, man. And, you know, respectfully, because all these gentlemen are married now and all that. But, yeah. you know, I remember pulling up to GC, my cousin Tricky, um, you know, a lot of our friends, JD, you know, Dallas. Like, and we talking about in the 90s where they still giving away multi-million dollar, you know, song deals People and publishing deals. People were getting money in the music industry. People were getting money. So it's like Cats is pulling up in Ferraris, pulling up in 911 Carreras, like 996. It's like we out there balling. I'm the first nigga on the street with the CLK Benz, with the Lorenzo <laughs> Kid. No, real talk. Right. I was the first cat to have the CLK Lorenzo Benz because I was on pre-order for it. Paid the money for it, and I think like it was either Michael Eisner or Jeffrey Katzenberg was on the late waiting list too, but they didn't feel like being on the list anymore. Pause. Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg are two fucking high big wigs at Disney. Katzenberg Absolutely. currently is, was a part of uh, DreamWorks, yeah. and now runs Quibi. Michael Eisner was the president. He's and president CEO of, of, of Disney. Of Disney. So right. yeah, so I'm on, I'm on that waiting list to get this car. So I'll never forget they called me. Uh, downtown LA Motors they was like man we got a you know Michael doesn't want his car Mr. Eisner doesn't want his car you know we got it do you want it so you got Michael Eisner's I got Michael Eisner's car I didn't even I went to the dealership I looked at it to make sure it looked right and I was like man put that bitch on that truck and send it to Atlanta <laughs> and that thing got that thing got off the truck I will never forget it. the 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 shipper uh, put the thing down on Peachtree and I drove that thing off in bed man it was incredible and because <laughs> Because of that, you know, that first of all, I had that car, which looked like a fucking spaceship at the time. You know, then everybody else is out with like Ferraris and shit. We pulling up to Magic. We pulling up to GC. Like, man, old Atlanta. Uh-huh. New Atlanta's still dope, too. Like, you know, the new generation, they got their thing going. And shout out to them. But, man, the old Atlanta was fly as fuck. All right, I'm going to make you choose. Yeah. Because I know you love the new Atlanta, but I've heard about this old Atlanta thing. Yeah. Who's doing it better, the old Atlanta or the new Atlanta? You know what? <sighs> because I was there during what I feel was an incredible era in Atlanta and in black culture in general, I'm going to go with old Atlanta and not because I'm hating on the youngsters. Mm. It's not because I'm the old head and mm. I can't identify with the music. <laughs> and 
No, I'm not that guy because me and my son will sit up like I'll break down records with my kid. Yeah. We'll talk about I'll ask him questions. So I'm not ignorant, you know what I'm saying, right. to what the youth are on. But it was just, I mean, man, we were like this really small, tight-knit community of just black excellence. I mean, it was like, you know, you had Dallas Austin at Rowdy Studios bringing fucking Michael Jackson and Madonna down to do yeah. sessions. And yeah. then you had JD doing, you know, Atlanta like bass and Atlanta like hip hop culture. So so deaf was everything. They were doing everything. Then you had Organized Noise. Shout out to Organized Noise who provided us uh with Outcast and Goody Mob. And so you had that very um that very deeply rooted Southern sound and yeah. Southern influence. And then, you know, you had uh um Everyone else, the Jazzy Faze, and the, so you have all of La these Face. La Face, and the and the La Face Records was the headquarters for all of that creative energy. Yeah, like L.A. Reid provided checks, and Kenny Edmonds, and Daryl Simmons, all mm-hmm. silent partner, all provided checks uh, for the early beginning and foundation of Atlanta, and I was there to witness all of that, you know, and it was incredible. Like you know, Club One Twelve on Treasure Tre- Cheshire Bridge Road. You know, uh, Atlanta Live, Club 559, man, you name it, I've been to it, you know what I'm saying, Club mm. 20 Grand on Old National. Man, I used to go to Vanda's house before it became Rick Ross' house, like, Word. it was a Vanda Holyfield house, like, I know I know it was going Atlanta. down over there, he got like 27 kids. Yeah, so, it was, I guess it was going down. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. it has to be going down over there, yeah. shout out to, to, what was the most you think that you ever spent in an Atlanta strip club? During that time. Oh, my God. What's the most... J- I'm so embarrassed to say this. Like, What's the most you ever spent in an Atlanta strip club at that time? You got the... What What? What, what kind of Mercedes was it? It was a CLK Ben. Hey, can we bring that up on the screen right there? The yeah, CLK Ben? The CLK Ben. I wish I had a, a picture of that thing. Boy, it was with that Lorenzo. What year? Kid. It was the 98, I the believe. 98 CLK Ben. Yeah, it was a... Fir- like, it was the... I got the first one in the country. The first CLK Ben. The ben. first CLK Ben. So, we're there. What was your question again? The question was how much you spent in the strip club. Your, your, okay. Your most expensive night. I went from, this was at the GC, this was record night. I went from 9 p.m. to 11 a.m. the next morning. We ate brunch. I'm embarrassed to say. We had brunch in the gentleman's club. I had bacon and eggs and, a, <laughs> and some orange juice and a fucking <laughs> shot of cognac. It was all bad. I was so off the chain, bro. You, you were there how long? I was there from 8 p.m. To 11 a.m. How the, the next morning. How the fuck do you <laughs> Nah, bro, we just... Like, what? That's what like, oh, we, shit. Uh, yeah, he, pull, he pulling up, man. Wow. You pulling it up? Yeah, so, okay, so I had a silver joint, right? Let me see. Where, if there's a silver joint on here. Okay, that thing. This that's one? That, yeah. If y'all watch when y'all watching on y'all be able to see this was this was this that was, was it that was it okay and it had it had a Lorenzer kit on it so I had the Lorenzer rims mm-hmm. so that shit was sitting like real heavy and this is before I knew like I'm I'm nouveau riche in a right. way I'm yeah. new money as far as getting cars mm-hmm. so I didn't understand that I was fucking with the performance of the vehicle by putting this, <laughs> these heavy ass rims on this car right so I'm just out there kind of ghetto fabulous. I'm in Atlanta, kind of looks similar to that in the background with the trees and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going ape shit crazy. Right. And it's me and like, you know, a whole bunch of other young men, not to put anybody on blast, but a whole bunch of other. What do you do for 13 hours in a strip club? Drink and get dances. <laughs> <laughs> and flirt. And right. talk shit and, you know, and have your ego boosted up. I'm right. talking about, man, I was so bad. Cause the, you, That's like three different shifts, right? Those girls don't stay there that whole time. No, they do. If they get money. Oh, they not leaving if they getting that bread. 
If you coming in there dropping that bag, those young ladies are going to stay there and they're going to get that bread. How much, you ain't tell me how much you think you went through that night. Oh, uh, man, I probably that night, because this is before I had a business manager, too. So it was nobody to tell you nothing. It was nobody, and mother couldn't tell me nothing. Right. Um, let's see. Okay, I brought 10 racks in cash, uh-huh. and I had my American Express gold card. The, the statement, I remember the statement that month was crazy. Because even my mother questioned me. She was like, what is this? What is what is uh, GC? And I was like, uh, I had to get something done on the car. I wasn't trying to you know, show that side of myself to my mom. But no, nah, man, I mean, it was Atlanta, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. You know, you we, spent 40. No, I didn't go. I didn't go that crazy. I probably at the most spent 16.5. 16.5. I like that. The reason why I like that is because that's a night where people can put they. That's a night where these ladies can put their kids through school and get you know and get bags for them and stuff. My like that. My nickname was Georgia Power. I was paying <laughs> utilities. I'm paying mortgages. I'm paying rent. No, they see me, dog. They be like, "There you go. There's Georgia Power. There you go." And so, I'll be in there. So, yeah. which one? Which of, of all the, the the stuff that you've done? Which which yeah. which one do you eat off the most? Like, which one did you think was the most lucrative for you? Like, you've done a lot of stuff. Out of all the work that I've done, yeah. Oh, definitely Lion King because you still get paid from Lion King now. Oh yeah, no, I mean and that's and that's because I negotiated um, a residual uh, payout contract with Disney, which was. Uh, somewhat unheard of back then. Uh, Disney was just used to kind of giving payouts. Um, and they would be large sums uh, mm-hmm. that they would pay out, but my mother uh, opted uh, to negotiate with Disney on better terms. Mm-hmm. And because of that wise decision, uh, The Lion King continues to be the gift that keeps on giving. Damn. Yeah. So, you know, we don't count brother's money, but it's good. Like, you still make a nice, hefty Lion King check? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, it, it all depends on the level of activity and engagement. And, you know, they tally tally all of that up, um, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, from what they're doing digitally um, mm-hmm. or what they're actually um, so uh, you see selling. So you see a Disney Plus announcement and you go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, seriously, man, because that thing plays in, I mean, I've negotiated deals for the song to be played in theme parks, Mm -hmm. to be played in the ice shows, Mm -hmm. you know, those are all different um, uh, ancillary sources of income that I've generated just solely from that. Right. So So forget about the movie, whenever they play it in the theme park, whenever they play it, Disney on ice. Whenever it's played, there's a check getting cut. Now, that being said, because I don't want anybody to get it twisted and get it distorted. You know, you you may be negotiating, you know, cents on a dollar. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know what I mean? So I don't want people to think I'm just rolling out here like, you know, no, yeah. it, it, it's not it's not like that. But what is it, it enough to where you wouldn't have to work again? Yeah. If, if I wanted to. Yeah. But even with that, it would be like, you know, let's say, God forbid, you know, something happens with a scandal or something and then nobody, you know, buys the Lion King anymore. I mean, it, it, would, would, it would fuck me up. Yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, on a residual basis, um, whether it's like mid in the middle of the fiscal year or at the end of the fiscal year, I'll get, you know, a statement. And nah, man. And, and again, I, I attribute that to my mother being an excellent businesswoman. 
mm-hmm. and already um, kind of knowing ahead of time based on her past track record and her past history mm-hmm. how to negotiate accordingly. Right. Um, so, you know, for anybody out there that's ever had the question, because some people have asked me that on social media mm-hmm. and on other shows before, um, you know, am I still receiving some kind of residual payout for it? And yes, I have. And thank you, Disney, for that. There you go. Was there, like, when you were, when you were, were there any celebrity relationships that you had? Did you ever like date any other famous ladies out there? No. Um, you didn't say you didn't do any of that. No, no. I well, keeping it all the way real. I went to I went to the movies with Tia Mowry one time, like years wow. ago, wow. while we were doing Smart you let Guy. Let that slip through your fingers, huh? I really did. That's I crazy, fucked up, bro. but she went to the right guy. Shout out to my guy Corey Hardwick. Hey, they have a beautiful relationship, the man. Bro, guess what? It's beautiful. It had to fail with you so that we could get that beautiful couple. Man. Yeah, so I'm so I'm glad it did. So Tia, you made the right decision. <laughs> Corey, man, don't fuck with me. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> thing you didn't fuck with me. You got the right one. Which cause... movie did y'all go see? Titanic. Damn, bro, for a first date. Yes, bro. You was really trying to wife like for a first. Date? Well, I was trying to be respectful, right? Because because booty call was out around that same time. It was, but see, but see, her, you could have gone to see booty call, and then like you might have would have. Her mama was not having that shit. <laughs> Darlene Maury was not having that shit oh. because I mean it was it was kind of you know it was kind of a situation where we almost like kind of put together right because y'all was on the same show, yeah, same to see same like age. if it would work out and right. Man, that's like an episode of Smart Guy. Y'all in the front row, and Taj is all the way in the back. Yeah, it kind of felt like an episode of it. But you know what's funny about that? It's like that's literally the worst movie that you could take somebody to see on the first day. That bitch is three, three hours, hours long. long. Crazy emotional. Crazy emotional. She about to be crying. Number one, Titanic is not, not a good movie as far as the lesson. And I'll tell you why, Jay. Why? Give me a second. (laughs) Okay, so I'll tell you guys this. At the end of Titanic, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Jack Dawson, he uh, passes away, right? Yeah. Okay. He passes away. Yeah. Kate Winslet character, the older woman, yeah. she fucks up. And now you know why people wrote this movie because they take something that's worth like $16 million mm-hmm. and drop in the ocean. Right. Like, okay. You know, they, whoever wrote this movie has never struggled. He has never life. struggled. Right. Because there's no way that we can. I'm letting that shit go down in the ocean. I, I think it was worth more than $16 million. Look up how much the heart of the ocean was supposed to be worth. Okay. Man. Um, it takes it and drops it in the ocean. Like, like we suppose every time I watch that, you dumb fuck. Anyway. Yeah. So that's Kate Winslet, right? That's yeah. her character. That's Rose Dawson. Okay. Rose Dawson then dies. Okay. Okay. At the end of the movie, she dies. I remember. All right. When she dies, the camera pans to the scene earlier in the movie. Okay. Where Leonardo DiCaprio is standing looking all handsome at the top of the thing. Yeah. Okay. Camera goes, shoots up, and it's like Leonardo DiCaprio. That is signifying that she is now in the afterlife, and she gets to be with Jack Dawson again. Okay. Here's the fucking problem that I have with that, All Jason. Right. All right, share. Who was speaking for Rose in the movie talking to the people trying to find the heart of the ocean? Her granddaughter. <laughs> the reason why that was her granddaughter is because she had a whole life with After some that- other dude married him yeah had, had kids had his kids the whole nine yeah 400 million 400 million dollars was the heart of the ocean damn 400 million dollars and this old white motherfucker dropped it into the motherfucking ocean that's not a happy ending that, i don't that's a not fuck. a happy ending at all so, so look so she is she is that ain't a happy she ending. is here with this guy right yeah that she lives her whole life with yeah. has kids with 
has a daughter, has has kids, with, has a granddaughter. Yeah. Then she dies. Huh? That's not the guy she sees at the top of the thing. No. The guy she sees at the top of the thing <laughs> is a dude that she spent three fucking days with. Yeah. Back in like 1918. But but he put it down. So Jason, evidently in that scene where they was making love and they had the, the thing sweat. Evidently, you spend your Jack whole put it life down. with somebody, and then they remember in the afterlife. They spend that, their whole eternity with some dude that it was three days with? I would have been mad as fuck if I was her husband. I showed up to heaven. Like, what's up? And she kicking it with Jack. I'd be like, oh, this is what we doing? This is what we doing now? And yeah. that's the movie you tried to get Tia with, bro. I mean, man, no. It was what, honestly, what Mrs. Mowry selected <laughs> for us. Because she knew I was a wild Yeah, one. she was like, no, no, She no. was like, no, like, no nigga. This is what, you're going to take my daughter to the movies to see Titanic in Calabasas. Right. And mind you, this is pre-Kanye, pre-Kim. This is, pre not, this is, like this is Calabasas. Calabasas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't yeah, none yeah. of us out there. Right, right, Except right. them. Right, right. So I'm Fuck. looking around like... <laughs> The fuck is going on? You know what I'm saying? But it was fun though. We had a we had a good time. Mm -hmm. But you know that no that didn't work out because I I was wild. Who, who as far as uh, people, what do you feel like your? We're gonna get to adult Jason Weaver and say I want to ask okay. you one more question. What do you feel like your most meaningful and lasting relationship outside of your family in the industry that you've made uh, throughout your time has been with someone with in the industry? Yeah. Oh man. That's easy. Hmm. That really is easy. My relationship with Omar Gooding. Oh, word. Omar's a really good friend of mine. Hmm. Um, me and Omar have known each other since we were like nine, ten years old when he was still doing like wild and crazy kids. Hmm. And we've had the kind of relationship. It hasn't been where like, you know, we're with each other every day and, you know, throughout the course of our childhood and our lives, we would just you know, involved with each other day in and day out like that. But there have been pivotal moments like in our lives and in our careers where we've gotten together and done something. And it's, it's, it's a certain kind of chemistry that we have together that works really, really well. Mm -hmm. And we have a great deal of respect for one another personally as men. Um, we have a lot of the same likes. Like, we're heavy into sports. Uh, we look at football games together, basketball games. And, and just on top of that, like, Omar's a real nigga, man. Like, I could really sit and have a conversation with him as a man, and he's going to tell me some real shit. And it's not going to be no sugar-coated Hollywood bullshit conversation. Right. And, you know, even if... Um, even on some real shit too, like when there have been times where we help each other as far as our careers. Mm -hmm. Like, when I first got back out here to L.A. and I started moving around... He was like, man, come over here and do family time real quick. Uh, it's a show he has on Bounce TV for anybody that's familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Man, come do a couple episodes. Come pick up this check real quick. Hey, man, come over here. We doing this. We doing that. Like, we're even um, in the midst of starting our own podcast up right now. Amazing. Called This Ain't Marcus and Mo. Oh, I love that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. like, we're just, and it's really just us having conversation a way that we do, covering all things under the sun that mm -hmm. we find to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And giving people a chance to get to know us as the men that we are, as the fathers that we are. You know what I mean? So Omar is one of those guys that, um, you know, I've always had a great deal of respect for uh, growing up. Still have a tremendous amount of respect for him and his family. And, uh, yeah, so out of everybody, that's probably been one of... Uh, you have a party with Cuba? 
I, I party with Cuba. And that's still one. That's one. That's, that's on my list. But I heard he know how to party. I, I, I've seen it. I know he know I, how to party. I heard he knows how to party. He so, knows how to party. Oh, and Wesley Jonathan. I'm sorry too. And I've known Wesley. Wesley Jonathan is another uh, city guys. Really good friend of mine. Yes. Yeah. Wesley's a great guy. Wesley was an associate producer on a independent film I did years ago called uh, Dysfunctional Friends. Mm. And he called me out of the blue and was like, "Hey, man, I'm." You know, associate producer on this movie, come through. Let's get paid. Let's make some money together and do something cool. You know, people like that. Real niggas like that. Right. You know what I mean? Um, one call away. Yes. Tell me about the record. Oh, man. Uh, that opportunity I came. I know you get asked about it all the time. No, I actually don't. Really? I, I I actually don't because what's so crazy about that is that a lot of people didn't know, you know, outside of our immediate community, mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't know um, about my involvement with it. Because uh, honestly, the the record company that was pushing at the time really didn't make an effort to show that I was involved with it. Why? Um, well, I just I honestly believe like they just didn't feel like I had that kind of star power that would warrant that kind of success to even acknowledge kind of like my contribution for the no record. No disrespect to Chingy because I love Mitch. no, and this is not Chingy's fault. I, I, I know, I, but no disrespect to Chingy. Yeah, because. Chingy's a, nah, me, me and Chingy have had some contact. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of respect for Chingy. I think Chingy's a good dude. Yeah, he is. The, the, the hook of the song is the, you know what I'm saying? I, mean, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to diss nobody. No, it helped It helped to drive the record. Yeah, yeah. Let's the, say that. Yeah. It helped, it yeah, did you know help to drive I'm not, the record. I said I'm not trying to diss nobody. I'm really not trying to diss Chingy. Chingy was in his moment. It's a great song, but the hook of the song is the memorable part of the song, if I'm going to say it like that. If I'm gonna no, say thank like you. That. Right. I appreciate it. Just like, I'm not, and right there, that the hook of the song that's Chingy's hook yeah. fuck it nigga the song is rememberable because of the singing on the song yeah. and that, that's kind of what drove the song not that anything else was whack I'm yeah. just saying so that's that's kind of weird to me that they didn't that, that in some kind of way it seems like they were trying to play you a little bit no they definitely were trying to play me um, and again that, that has nothing to do to, to with Chingy what happened was and this is how it all came about my guy Poon Daddy uh, Poon the Daddy. His name is Poon Daddy. Uh, wait, 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 wait. P O. He's a P O O N D A D D Y. Poon Daddy. And Poon used to be on the Chris Lover Lover and Poon Daddy show in okay. Los. An- I mean, uh, in Atlanta. Uh-huh. On the shout old out to Poon Daddy. Shout out to Poon Daddy. It was on the old Hot ninety seven. It was Chris Bridges, uh, Ludacris, uh-huh. Poon, his best friend at the time, and Lala. And they were on a radio show in Atlanta. Okay. Like an afternoon radio show. And that's what it was called, Poon Daddy and Chris Lover Lover. Right. And so I had had a pre-existing relationship with Disturbing the Peace and with Chris and all those guys prior to Chris even blowing up uh, when he was still a radio guy. Yeah. And so when all of this, you know, kind of newfound success uh, had started coming about for DTP. Um, shout out to Shaka and all of those. Shout guys. out to Shaka. It was only kind of natural for those guys, like for Poon, to reach out to me. I was out here shooting the Lady Killers with the Cohen brothers. Oh, damn. I forgot about that one. Yeah. I was damn, shooting. with Tom Hanks. Yeah, with Tom Hanks yeah. and Marlon Wayans. And Marlon Wayans. I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Yo, yeah. that's a big time Hollywood look right there. Thanks, man. I wish people would have went out and saw the fucking movie, but... But the Cohen brothers are, are kind of weird like that sometimes. Yeah, where, like, yeah. Not, not like they... They do so much work. Yeah. But like, I'm going to come back to that. Okay. All but right, but so. yeah, so that so that's what happened. I was, I'd been cast for that. Man, I ran in a poon at like a club or something. And he was like, man, what you doing right now? 
I was like, nothing, I'm about to go home. He was like, dude, I'm about to go uh, up to Larrabee West and check in with my artist. You ever heard that dude, Chingy? And at that time, Chingy had the song right there out. Yeah. So it was like all over Los Angeles. He was on fire. I was like, yeah, I know who that is. He was like, man, come to the studio. Come kick it. I want you to meet him. I was like, fuck it. I don't got nothing else to do. Why not? Went to the studio, met Chingy. He and I hit it off like, you know, on some real nigga shit, just talking, shooting pool. And then Poon pulled me over to the side and was like, yo, Jay, we got this record called One Call Away, and it needs a hook. It needs an R&B hook. Listen, man, I thank you to shit. And to this day, Poon, thank you, man. Like, I fucks with you, my guy, because that was real. He was like, man, I really believe in your talent. I really believe in your voice as a vocalist. And you just haven't been given the right shot yet, the right opportunity. Because I had been on Motown Records, but hadn't you know, um, uh, experience any success with them mm -hmm. because of just label politics and them not understanding who I was as a person. So I'll keep it all the way real and being completely transparent. I kind of lost confidence as an artist and wanting to like put myself out there, thrust myself out there because I just didn't feel like anybody fucked with me or fucked with my voice. So it was like some internal struggles Must that I was- Must be pretty hard to feel that way. Yeah, it was, I mean, for an artist and for somebody that grew up singing and because of like one kind of, fucked up situation yeah. or perceived fucked up situation at the time it fucked with my self-esteem so i was a little bit reluctant to kind of jump back into it but he was like look just sing it and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but at least you gave it a shot so fast forward poon books the session and he books it on the day that i'm filming my scene for the lady killers so i'll never forget and shout out to ethan cohen i owe you for this one bro i was shooting my scene with Marlon, and we had to do some pickup shots. Um, we had gotten like the master and the two shot, a couple other things, and we broke for lunch, and after coming out of lunch, we were supposed to pick up a couple inserts and some other things, and I'd be wrapped for the day. But Poon ends up booking the session at Enterprise Studios in Burbank at like 2 p.m. during the lunch break. So professionally speaking and traditionally, when you're on set, you're not supposed to leave, like whether it's a lunch break or whatever, because you could get called at any time for whatever. So, Joe, I mean, uh, Ethan overhears the conversation that I'm having with Poon, seeing if I could get a later time in the studio. So, Ethan goes, what are, Jason, what are you trying to do? I see you kind of frantic. I was like, man, my guy, you know, booked a session at a studio down the street, but, you know, of course I can't leave, man. I'm working. So, Ethan goes, you know what? Go and do your session. When we come back from lunch, we'll do a single on Marlon. We'll do some inserts. We'll somebody. We'll have somebody read off camera for you. Do your session, man, and then come back to work when you're done. I hop in a cab, shoot over to Burbank, sing the hook down maybe like six times. After the sixth time, Poon's like, come out of the booth. We're going to comp the vocals. Fast forward, three weeks later, the hook turns out great. Poon loves it. Chris loves it, but keeping it all the way real, capital. Real quick. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. Just, we always want to, Matt, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we want to just make sure that people understand what's happening. Yes. Ethan Cohen. Yes. You were on, you were on set I'm shooting on set. a movie. Yep. With the Cohen brothers. Yep. And Tom Hanks. Yes. Ethan Cohen told you it was cool to leave and go record one yes. of the biggest hits of that year. Yes. Okay. Just, just remember, nigga, when you're telling these stories, to give the proper, the appropriate fucking 
gravitas to shit. I got you. Like, listen, I got you. Don't, don't just, because like, cause y'all do shit like that. Okay. I told my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story on here when the dude told me I worked on a movie and the movie was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. We're not all from this. The shit is hot. Like when you talk about, so the Coen brothers. Yes. You was on with the Coen brothers. I was on with the Coen. And you did one call away on your lunch break. On my lunch break. And and Ethan Coen, we were at the craft service table. You got that, Maddie? Yeah. On, on the lunch break. No, on the lunch break. I, That's the name of this podcast, by the way. Jason Weaver's lunch break. The lunch break. Yeah. So no, no, I'm literally at the craft service table. I'm trying to coordinate with him. Ethan's like, what's the problem? Because he sees I'm like frantic. So he's like, man, what's the problem? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to do this session. He's like, dude, just do it and come back. Just do it. So that's what I did. <laughs> and I came back and um, I did the session. And then, you know, fast forward. Um, all right, I got to be completely transparent. I got to keep it real. Capitol Records didn't want me on the record. Um, they wanted to put either Marion on the record, who was a huge artist at that time, mm -hmm. Marcus Houston. They wanted Houston, who was signed to Capitol Records at the time. So they were I like, like that. I'm sorry? The Houston? You said Marcus Houston or Houston? Houston. That was the artist's name. No, I like that. Yeah. I like, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that. That guy. Brother who ended up. I think he cut his, cut eye, his eye out or out. something. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> But shout out to Houston though. Like shout <laughs> shout out to shout out to Houston. So um, and do you mind? Can I get like a piece of paper or something? I'm yeah, like, like Jason, is the like, air on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, I saw you. I see you. You getting into the real shit. Yeah, and when you get into the real shit, you get to sweat, man. Because right, there's a lot right. of history to it. Thank you, man. All right. Uh, so no, make a long story short. Uh, so they, so you were saying? Yeah. So I go and I do the session. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Get back on my. Uh, and let me take this off. I'm sitting here bullshitting. Yeah. Um, and shout out to Robert Vincenzo, by the way. This is the shirt that I'm wearing. Word I'm, up, word I'm up. I'm swe sweating it out, but all good. But anyway, um, so I do the session. I come back. Ethan's like, "How did it go?" I was like, "It went well." He was like, "What was it for?" I was like, "Oh, it's for this rapper, Chingy." Da 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 da. He's like, "Okay, that's cool." I go back to work, finish the scene. Then Poon calls me and he says, there's kind of a problem. He's like, dude, everybody loves the hook. Everybody fucks with it. But the label just, they want a bigger star on it. But here's what's going to happen. We're going to do a focus group. The label's putting a focus group together to find out which version is the best. Because I think everybody had recorded one that they mentioned from Marcus Houston Are you fucking kidding to Marion. No, everybody had recorded. And, and Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you ask Marion or Marcus and those guys, they'll be able to back up this story because right. it was because it was a thing because I felt like I'll be honest with you I felt insulted and it, not because they the label wanted to choose Marcus and Amarion because I respect those guys and I've grown up they're, uh, great singers. they're great singers and great artists in their own right so I wasn't tripping on that it was a fact that they were like just trying to downplay me like I wasn't shit right you feel me and that made me feel a certain kind of way but Poon comes back and he's like hey they did the focus group the fans prefer your shit. The public prefers your version of the song. That's what's resonating. So that's what we're going to go with. So I'm like, okay, that's great. So, you know, I'd signed off, a, signed a release form and all of that. I negotiated some kind of like primitive bullshit terms because honestly, I didn't, with no disrespect to Chingy, I didn't think the record was going to be what it was. So yeah. I signed off, kept it moving. And then the record comes out. And then it begins to get like a ton of immediate airplay. My nigga Ian called me. He was like, yo, 
I was like, what? He was like, you heard that new Chingy? And I was like, uh, no. Yeah. And he was like, that nigga Jason Weaver sounds, my, my homeboy Ian is a singer. Okay. And he goes, that nigga Jason Weaver sounds amazing. Oh, on that's dope. Shit. Thank made, you, man. And we mixed that bitch and we like, I had a mix. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of songs on that mix. That was my go-to mix. Okay. Uh, like, and, and that immediately, like that's a lot of, right, the, like I would say that right there is yeah. Chingy's most famous song. Yeah. But his most enduring song was one it, call away. Was one call away, and then he had one with uh, Tyrese too that did that did well. Right, Chingy's got great songs, yeah. but like, but what I'm saying is, when you think of the like the Chingy song that's gonna get the most burn in the most places, that yeah. was like really one of the that was one of the records. It was one of those records, and it almost like had it been left up to the top brass at Capitol at that time, it it wouldn't have uh, it wouldn't have gone down. And you know, to kind of add insult to injury, when it came to that record, um, I I've. I really remember because I that's that I had taken great offense to is when it premiered on like 106 in Park, and it just said Chingy one call away, and they didn't even like care to acknowledge me in the credit to say like featuring Jason Weaver or anything like that. And for for me, that was kind of the last straw because you know I'm a humble person, like I'm a cool person, but when I know I've contributed to something creatively and I've done an exceptionally like good job at doing it. The least you can do is just acknowledge my contribution and give me my credit for that. Yeah. And I just felt like that shit was so disrespectful. And again, it it didn't have anything to do with Chingy because as Chingy has probably told you and has said in many other different interviews, he really didn't have a lot of control over his career during that time. Yeah. There were a lot of hands that were in a pot that were guiding things. So he wasn't really you know, able to speak openly uh, about it. But when I brought it to Poon's attention... You know, my thing was, it's like, hey, man, like, how many how many years I know y'all niggas? Yeah. Like, prior to DTP blowing up and all that. And no disrespect to, like, Shaka or Chris or any of them. Those are my guys. Like, we all live in Atlanta together. Like, it's all love. But I was really on it. Like, y'all gonna let Capital do me like that? Yeah. Like, I know y'all niggas. Yeah. So, you know, for that to go down, and everybody knows that I'm singing on this record, they can see my face in the video. That, that's why I was just about to ask you. I was about to say, like, we know who, like, it's, it's weird. Like, we, like, it's not like they, because sometimes they'll do something where they'll they'll do a video, and when it's time your time to sing, it'll be like the artist driving in a fucking Ferrari. Right. You won't see. You're in the video, standing up there in the long car. And, and that's only because of Poon. Because when they were shooting a video, this is real talk, my right-handed guy, I'm not lying. When they were shooting the video for One Call Away, I didn't even know they was in Atlanta shooting until Poon called me and was like, man, where you at? And I was like, what you talking about? I'm at the crib. I'm watching my son. I was babysitting my son. I was like, I'm watching my son. I'm looking at the football game. You can't babysit your son. That's cool. Well, well, you know, I was <laughs> watching, you know, watch, watching my boy. I was being a father. Right. <laughs> and uh, no, and then he, you know, he called me and um, he said, no, nah, man, we down here shooting a video. Like, what's the problem? Like, you don't want to be in it? And I was like... Dude, I didn't this know y'all so were wild. shooting a video. He's like, Jason, come down to set right now, dog. Like, man, fuck that, man. Fuck that. And so I went down to the set because that jacket, that green army jacket, yeah. that's my jacket. I bought that at an army surplus store out here in Glendale while I was shooting the, Cohen, the, shooting the lady killers. Uh-huh. And it was like this army surplus store next to the set. And I bought it because I thought it was a cool jacket. And it just so happened that when I looked in my closet after I was alerted to the fact that they were shooting this video, I put that shit on and I drove down to the video shoot. And Eric White, uh, who I later uh, eventually did the lottery ticket with, shout out to Eric White. Um, 
Got the video rolling right Yeah, now. he 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 was like, hey, man, I got a great shot for you. Like, dude, I didn't know that this was you on the hook. Nobody told me from the label that you were involved in this. So, man, stand on this fence. We going to line up you a dope shot. Stand on this fence. Sing the hook. There it is right And there. that's that. And that's how that came about. But there, no, there wasn't like any. And this is just keeping it all the way funky. Like Capitol Records was not fucking with me. Like they didn't. They didn't treat me in any kind of way with that record. Like I brought any kind of contribution to it. And that's no slight on DTP. I want to clarify that. Right. There's no slight on those guys because they just had a label deal over there. I'm looking up. Yep. Because at that point it was like, a. am looking up that record to see where it charted. It was number two on R&B. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like a top 10, you know, like pop record. But nah, bro. Like, cause that, cause even people, when they ask me, He's like, well, man, why didn't you come out with a single after that and go I hard? Just about to ask, like, what? Because we were, because do you know that people are featuring after Jason Weaver mm -hmm. um, on the chorus? Uh, it peaked. It. Oh wow, that went to number two. It went to number two on the Hot 100. It went to number two on Hot 100. Okay. Okay. Nigga, you don't even know where your own song, like, it, like. No, nah, because you know, you know that what went it went to number two. You know what it the was. The song was kept from being number one. By by what song? It was a big record that was out. Huge record. It was because I remember Atlanta that. too. Uh, what was it? Like uh, uh, the, to me, probably the biggest record of that year is the only reason why one call away didn't go to number one. And what was it? I want y'all to play the game right now. Guess another huge Atlanta artist, the biggest, the biggest pop star from Atlanta ever. Uh. From Atlanta, biggest ever? pop star from Atlanta ever. Well, he's not really from Atlanta. He's really from Chattanooga. But oh, he, Usher. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, that big time. Yeah. So yeah. So Usher and Lil Jon. Oh, yeah. that's when Yeah was out. Yeah, five oh, consecutive yeah. weeks. I'm looking at it right now. Five. It, it, see, you don't even know. And then my it, homeboy it, wrote that record. Shout it, out to JQ. It went to it went to number one on the hot rap songs for three weeks. It went to number one and on it hot went rap. To, it, uh, it, it peaked at number three and number six on the um. It peaked the number. It's crazy. It peaked the number three uh -huh. on, on. But damn, this big. This this shit is a big ass. No, it did. It did well, man. But I'll be honest. Like that experience left such a bad taste in my mouth uh -huh. that I was on it. Like, man, I'm just gonna keep making mu movies because every time I try to fuck with these niggas on some music shit, like I'm always getting played. And I had just gotten to a point where I was like, yo, if I do put out more music, which we'll talk about that in a minute, but. I was like, yo, if I if I put out more music, I'm gonna do it on my own terms, and I'm gonna be able to, you know, directly um, interact with like the consumer. But I'm not gonna do the label politics anymore, and I'm not gonna have some suit questioning my God-given talent or making me feel like I'm not, you know, presenting anything worthwhile. I'm not gonna continue to make people in the music industry who can't hear a fucking plane crash. Yeah make me question in any kind of way who I am as an artist. So I just made the conscious decision to continue to focus on being a father and continue to focus on auditioning and becoming a better actor. And so to answer everybody's question as it relates to why I hadn't put out any music after that is because it just left it left such a bad taste in my mouth. Even though the song was so successful, it still left a bad taste. But they never made me feel like I was a part of the success of, of it. They never made me feel that way. Like even Chingy years later after he and I reconnected and uh, we talked about it and he said, yo, because we, we, ironically, it was at an audition. He was auditioning for a role in the film. 
I was auditioning for something. We, we happened to be in the waiting room at the same time. And that was the first time we had seen each other since that record had blown up and done its thing. So he asked me, he said, you know, I was always curious, Jason. Like, why don't you ever come out on the road with me? Like, like, why don't you take part in like any of your performances? Why didn't you, why did you remain distant during the success of one of my biggest records? And I had to keep it real with him. I was like, dude, that wasn't my choice. I was like, man, nobody called me to let me know like what was going on. I was like, when you went on tour, I found out like everybody else you was on tour when I heard it on the radio. When you went on 106 in Park, I found out about it just like everybody else when I saw your black ass on there. Mm. But it wasn't like nobody was, it wasn't like people, and, and I, I want to attribute that to DTP because I got way too much respect for Chris and Shaka to try to like put that jacket on them. And we're friends at the top of the day, so I don't even want to insinuate that they had something to do with that. But, you know, like the record company, the big label just like really made me feel like I wasn't really contributing shit to the project. And so when it was all said and done, I was like, man, fuck it. And then when Chingy and I talked about it and I asked him, I said, well, why didn't you ever call me? He said, well, dude, I, as you already know, I wasn't really in control of my situation like that. And he said that every time that I would inquire and say, man, we over here doing this, this stadium, like, where Jay Weave at? Yeah. He told me, and this is what came out of his mouth, that this is exactly what he told me. He said, man, every time I would ask about you, they would tell me that you were shooting a film or that you were on set doing something and that you just really didn't want to be bothered. And I was like, that, that's what people told you? He was like, dude, every time I asked, like, where's Jason? They were telling me, oh, Jason's shooting this, Jason's doing that. Oh, we called Jason and he said he wasn't interested. And the whole time I'm just sitting there thinking of my homeboy because eventually Chingy like became one of my homeboys. So I'm thinking like, damn, my homeboy is shitting on me like that whole time. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until years later till we just reconnected and, you know, and he told me the truth. But that being said, I'm not telling this story to make it seem like I'm harboring any resentment. Wow, you can, you, can you know what I'm saying? Like, with it. it's just it's just an interesting story because yeah, it it for 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 us, you know, we as much as I knew about your musical ability, yeah, like you know, there are questions that people ask. Yeah. People ask questions. They go, yo, you know, they, they say stuff like Jason Weaver never came out. Yeah, and they say stuff like because really, people don't remember a lot of these artists early on. They hit skids, right? People think that my way, a lot of people think that my way is Usher's first album. It's <laughs> not. not. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and the the space between the can you get with that era Usher That's right. and the my way Usher is like three or four years. That's right. And so it's like, I'm not, not trying to, if I'm being real, that first Usher album was not successful. No, what Big Time was going through a lot of, and he'll tell you that between that time of, uh, can you get with it in my way that's when i first started like really coming down to atlanta hanging out and like usher and we still homeboy that's still my partner like usher would pick me up in his jeep with his bogus ns10 speakers in the back uh -huh. and he was trying to figure it out because the label was like two seconds away at that time from dropping him uh -huh. and jermaine came in and saved the day and yeah and that's and that's really what happened so, him and b cox yeah right, and so and shout out to b cox shout bro. out to b cox i'm gonna get down here so yeah so y'all give this man his rose nah he's the cox. bomb he's so a genius. so what i'm saying is that it wasn't like when we when when, when 
when we saw you singing the hook on the cheat thing, a lot of people were like, oh, okay. Yeah. And when I say, oh, okay, they was like, okay, now, now it's his time. Yeah. But a that. Lot, a lot of people were, a, a lot of people were like, all right, well, so this is a, this song's a big hit. Yeah. Now here comes this. Now here comes that. All right, here. And then it was just like. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that too, here's another thing that happened. Um, I mean, first and foremost, with just me having that bad taste in my mouth from that experience, there were agreements or contracts that were offered, but they're offering me like I've never been around before. They're offering me a record deal, a record deal. Like I haven't sold 20 million records already with The Lion King. Right. Now, granted, that may have been the singing voice of a character, but yet and still, that's my voice. That's me putting forth my creative energy. Yeah. Respect me, at least for doing that. And when presenting me a contract, at least don't make me feel like you're really trying to take advantage of me. And so those were the kind of contracts that I was being presented. And I was just weighing my options like, okay, go to Hollywood and get some real money and get treated with respect or put out a record and deal with people in the record industry that are going to make you feel less than. Mm. And I just got to a point where I was like, you know what, if I do sing again and if I do put out... um uh, a body of work a collective body of work i'm gonna do it on my terms and it's gonna be a direct connection between me and my fan base because i'm not going through that again i'd rather not put out an album again than to sit across a desk from another fucking suit telling me who he thinks i am Word. like fuck you yeah. and i'm sorry for using that language but i'm really passionate about my music and um and i'm really passionate about the connection that i'm able to establish with my fans and with people that enjoy my work through my music. So when that was being played with, in a sense, or when that was being disrespected or not acknowledged respectfully, I took a real personal issue with that. Mm. But over time, um, through maturing, um, talking to peers, colleagues, the continued encouragement and support that I, I get from my fans on a daily, I got to a point where I made peace with that. And then when I saw that the industry was changing in a sense where, you know, now we have the iTunes and um, uh, SoundClouds and um, Spotify, Spotify and Tidal, shout out to all of these different platforms by which we can reach our audience directly mm -hmm. without the middleman. Then that's when I began to kind of seriously begin, you know, considering um, doing music again. But um, even with that, I just got to a point where I was like, well. These young guys are out, man. Like, let them do their thing now. Let's just, you know, let's focus on what we're doing as an actor. And, but then with the resurgence of The Lion King and people developing this kind of newfound curiosity, if you will, uh, regarding my singing ability um, and what I can do as an artist, I've, I have um, reconnected uh, with people, you know, in, in the music side or in the music space that I have close attachments to and that respect what I'm trying to do. So thankfully I was able um, uh, to recruit my cousin, Tricky Stewart, uh, my brother, the dream, who's also part of our family. They've written me like a dope, dope record called I don't care that I'm actually going to be recording in the next couple of weeks mm -hmm. that I'm going to be putting out. Um, you need a rapper on it? Yeah, man. Come on through. Yeah, pull up, I, uh, niggas. I, I'm sick of niggas keeping me around the injury, the industry, bro. No, pull up. No, and on, and on some real shit. Like, if you dead serious about the, making some music, like I'm, no, I'm not. Oh, I was about you to know, say. You know, I'm embarrass my fucking family on here. I'm fucking with we you. We should do a record though. Just what, just what, for what the kind fuck of record of could we do though? Just bro? for the fuck of it. I'm, I'm, bro, I'll, I'll, I'll fuck it. I'll get on there. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Yo? We but should really do a record. We, we should. So, but, but, so now those are some big ass names. 
Yeah, no, I and and what happened was is that I went to my family because after this whole thing with the Lion King, people were like, man, put out some music. Put out some music. But I'm a real music guy. And I'm not just gonna put out some shit for the sake of putting out some shit. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do something like I'm gonna sit down like an artist. Now I'm gonna think about this shit. I'm not gonna overthink it, but I'm gonna I'm I wanna present a body of work to my fans and to people that may not be that familiar with who I am and have them respect it. And so the guys that I've always respected and that I view as being musical geniuses and who just so happen to be within arm's reach, yeah. I reached out to them and they've been gracious enough to lend their talent, in, including uh, my cousin Ku Carell. Anybody out there that's familiar with Ku Carell, five-time Grammy Award-winning vocal producer, uh, Golden Globe-nominated vocal producer. He is the number one vocal producer in the world, works with Rihanna, um, J-Lo, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, Pentatonix. Um, that's also my first cousin. He's going to be providing the vocal production for it. Wow. So I've, I've been able to assemble a really, really strong team of amazingly talented people that I believe in and that believe in me. Mm. And that's what matters. And I don't give a fuck whether, you know, one unit is downloaded or, you know, people stream it on a on a minimal level or where or whether it becomes like a huge success. This next effort that I'm putting forth is coming straight from my soul. It's coming from me. Um, it's unfiltered um, as it relates to me being Jason Weaver. There's no suit dictating or determining how I'm going to tell my story and how I'm going to communicate with my audience. And I will be uh, presenting that that creative offering uh, at the top of the year. So you guys, please look out for that and please check in with me on my social media at It's Jason Weaver because I'll be giving you guys updates about it because um, I'm going hard with it. And I'm not. And let me also say this, too, just to clarify, I'm not out here reaching Mm-hmm. I know that there are young artists out here, Jacquees, like you got K Major, mm-hmm. um, you got a lot of young Trevor Jackson, Jacob Trevor. Lattimore, all those guys that we mentioned earlier who are doing a phenomenal job being the young performers that they are. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely not trying to overreach by stepping into their lane. I'm gonna do my fly, grown as sexy, but fly as fuck will still take your girl. Word. That those records. Yeah. And we're gonna have fun with it, man. And this is gonna be my you know, attempt to connect with my people and for us to have a moment. Right. So this isn't about, it'd be cool if it got hot, but this ain't about just being hot. This is about being great, great yeah. and being creative. Right. And when it's all said and done, I can look and at that body of work and say, no, nah, I did that. Regardless of whatever obstacles I may have encountered along the way, I told my story the way I wanted to tell it. Mm-hmm. And it was received by the people that really, really fuck with me. Hmm. No, there's one reason why I'm not gonna get because if I get on the record, they're just gonna take your name off of it again. You feel and that saying? and that's horrible because you, know you are. I mean, I mean I man, you that, are bro, the voice bro, of the culture I, I get right out now. There, bro, and I start rapping. The niggas trying to keep me out the industry. Listen, yeah. listen, listen, <laughs> nah, my, bro. I like listen. I learned so much more about you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much that that um that I learned about you. I want to know before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like what else? Give us the because I know that you're the, the music is one part of it, but give yeah. us the full landscape of Jason Weaver as, as we sit right here in 2019. The full landscape of Jason Weaver and what we're doing um, now is I'm currently producing two animated projects. Um, we talked a little bit about those. Yes, one that I have loosely uh, position. Well, not loosely. I have position at Comedy Central, but with any producer that can relate to this, I'm in development hell with it right now. Right. Um, but it was it's a uh, it's a uh, cartoon 
created actually by Antonio Reed Jr., L.A. Reed's son. Oh, okay. Called the Secret Society. Uh, him and Kyle Parker, Cage Parker, and Dantley Wyatt. Uh, and those gentlemen were gracious enough uh, to allow, we, allow me to move the intellectual property around, um, get some traction going on it, which in turn I took it to my cousins, Mark and Judy Stewart, who took it to their associate, Geneva Wasserman, who took it to Comedy Central. So I have that currently situated there in another uh, animated series that I'm really, 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 really excited about uh, called Team Supreme, mm-hmm. uh, created by a brother uh, by the name of Joshua Leonard from Joshua Leonard Studios. Um, it, it, is, it is a show based around kids with disabilities and special needs uh, whose disabilities and special needs are turned into superpowers via their doctor and his professor that you know works alongside with them to help them um, maneuver through their disabilities or perceive you know their special daily lives, yeah. their daily lives um and so uh that project was brought to very me. dope concept thank you and and shout out to to joshua leonard no wait wait till you i can't wait for this to come out and for you to to get a chance to interview this brother because on top of the fact that he's a creative genius he has an inspiring story um a lot of good information to share to other young black animators that are out there that are trying to get into business so um, it's been a pleasure to work alongside with him for the past year and a half developing this. Um, and I can, I can say this and I hope she doesn't get offended with me just kind of letting this out of the bag, but I took it to my, my good friend and sister, Lena Waith, who's also from Chicago. And, um, because she had expressed how it came about and why I took it to her because she had expressed interest in, uh, possibly working on the animated show, um, based on the fact she saw uh, the engagement that he was having on social media. Mm. And it sparked her interest. And I just so happened to be online that day on a computer on my laptop. And I saw her talking about this on this diversity and inclusion panel. And uh, she mentioned that she had seen it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the property that I have access to. So I immediately called her. uh, And she was gracious enough to, you know, immediately, you know, just embrace it. Uh, and began to put the right team uh, right. around us in order to bring it to full fruition. So she is hot in these. She is. She's super hot and fire. And, I can't wait for Queen of Slim, man. She's a. She's like. She. She's. She's in, insanely talented. No, she's insanely, insanely talented, talented and 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 super fucking real. Mm. Because the reason why I know her and I'm sharing this, nobody knows this either. Mm-hmm. I was one of the original cast members in The Shy when it was a pilot. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, before it came on TV, the whole pilot was like recast and new casting director, new director brought in a whole nine. They were retooling the show because they just didn't like the way the pilot came out. But she and I were able to develop a really genuine rapport with one another. You know, whether it had to do with us being from Chicago or um, her being a fan of my previous work and growing up with me. and, Mm -hmm. um, And so unfortunately, although that didn't work out, um, she and I were able to maintain, you know, a good rapport with one another, just on some cool shit, on some real shit. Who are you supposed to play in the shot? Ronnie. Mm. That character was much younger back then. Oh, okay. Um, and that's kind of what the network had an issue with. Some of the, well, all the cast got recast, but there were certain questions I believe that the network had right. as far as it being a realistic story in that regard. And so they wanted to make some changes and, you know, that's the business. That's mm. what it is. But thankfully... Um, with Lena being the real one that she is, she was like, look, there's something that's going to come down the pipeline that I'm either going to do or create, or you're going to create or something. 
and we're going to be able to come back to the table and possibly do some business. So, you know, by the grace of God, and I guess things supposed to be meeting up the way that they are supposed to, when I saw that video footage of her expressing interest in wanting, wanting to get aligned with that uh, animated project, I had her number. I reached out to her. I hit her. She was uh, immediately receptive to seeing what the pitch deck was about. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, uh, her and her executive creator, uh, Rishi Rajani, were down in Atlanta shooting Boomerang. Mm -hmm. And we're like wrapping up. So Joshua and I were able to sit down with Rishi um, and, exp and explain in the detail what it was about. And, um, and then Hillman Grad, you know, the players at Hillman Grad saw an opportunity uh, for us to Voltron and present something that I think we all feel is very, very unique and that can ultimately be really, really rewarding, not only for us as the people that are, are presenting the project, but also for viewers that are going to that are going to uh, check it out. Because what we're basically trying to do is bridge the gap between those people who are able to identify with disabilities and special needs and those who aren't. Mm. And what we're just trying to do, man, is normalize mm -hmm. what that is, because, you know, you'd be surprised uh, the level of discrimination um, and uh, and obstacles that people with disabilities and special oh, needs yeah, run into. Absolutely. So it's a worthwhile continued discussion to have. Mm -hmm. And it's a worthwhile subject to push to the forefront and present to people to make that conversation a normal one. So uh, you guys look out for that. I, I, I feel really, really good about it. I'm honored to be aligned uh, with the people who are working on it. Shout out to Giselle, our showrunner, our head writer, uh, she's doing a phenomenal job so far and everybody at Hillman grad and and Joshua So yeah, there are different things on the horizon and you know, that doesn't mean that I'm I'm done with acting anybody out there You know, you got a film You got a show that you're working on and you're looking for the kid like I'm available I'm available like holla at me. So, you know, it's not a it's not a game. I'm back in LA and uh so get it yeah, cracking. I'm, yeah, I'm going hard man. So, you know again van. I I really 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 man appreciate you from from the jump even before i came back out to la and um i was in atlanta and, and putting some things together before coming out here you were one of the first people uh to reach out to me man and just acknowledge what i've accomplished so far and my contribution and when i got that from you because like i said i already had a tremendous amount of respect for you that meant a lot to me personally because mm. i was like damn you know here's a guy that you know i really really fuck with man and for him to say that you know he grew up you know, watching my stuff and appreciating my work, then I must be doing something right out here. I must have done something right if I can influence gentlemen like this guy and many others uh, who have gone on now to do, in my opinion, bigger and better things and who are now at the forefront and speaking on behalf of the culture and, and doing it extremely well. Mm. So, um, again, I commend you for that and I thank you for your time and I thank you for to everyone out there. Like, I cannot stress it enough uh, for your support for your prayers, for your DMs, for the handshakes and the hugs that I receive in public, um, the words of encouragement, um, it's not taken for granted. Uh, I take it all in and I receive it all in. And, he, and, you know, even if you don't know me or even if you don't like my work or whatever, like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all love. I'm so blessed and I'm so thankful to have the people around me that I have around me that are pumping so much positive energy, even if you hate me, I love you. So thank you to those people as well. My man. I have some inspiring shit. My hey, man. Hey, we went so long that everybody left. 
Everybody like, let Maddie so, left. So Maddie out. So we're gonna clap for ourselves. Yeah. Man, Lathan and Jason, we back. By the way, when that track come out, don't fucking hate on me, man. We gonna no, we're gonna remake. No, we gonna, we gonna, we're gonna, gonna go full circle. We're gonna we remake gonna uh MH and the Pie Pie Piper. So okay. We're gonna remake off of in the club. Mark okay. and R. Kelly. You gotta be R. Kelly. Why you got why I gotta nah, be Rob? Nah, nah you gotta <laughs> We out. <laughs> <laughs>